I'm not even going to introduce them tonight. Just to say that uh, if you've received as much blessings as I have, you are rejoicing in this ministry. So it's a real joy to my heart to have my dear, dear friend, Charles Woodbridge, speak to you from Paul's epistle to the Romans. And he'll speak to your hearts, I know. Charles, God bless you. May we open our Bibles, please, to Romans 1.16. Once more, we're going to recite this by heart. How many are here tonight for the first time in this series? May I see your hands. We are very happy to welcome you. Perhaps I might say again, we have one more day only. Tomorrow morning, Doreen brings her final message this week. And tomorrow night, my final message on Saturday, we fly to Washington, D.C. for a week of meetings at the Cherrydale Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia. We were there last year. Then we fly from Washington to Phoenix, Arizona for a week of meetings, back to our home in California. Next week or so, up to Berkeley, California, Sacramento, Vallejo, up to Oregon, and then on the ship for Australia. Wonderful. Pastor, I'm just in the mood to say this in public. My wife and I when we get to Australia, the Lord willing, would be thrilled if someday Pastor and Mrs. Gian could meet us on their missionary tour. You know, it's a wonderful idea for a church. Have the pastor take a brief missionary tour. One of their stopping places must be Australia. By then, we'll know the ropes. We don't know them yet, but we'll learn them. So we're looking forward to that. May I further remind you, you know this already, that these notes on Romans are available They're on the table out there today and tomorrow, that's the last time. If you've never really started to study the Word of God, perhaps these might be of some help to you. The little yellow sheet comes off fits into your loose-leaf notebook. Any book of the Bible you want to study or teach, Isaiah, Lamentation, Hosea, anything from beginning to end, these will be available tonight and then tomorrow, and that's all. Now let's recite Romans 1.16. Everybody look this way, whether you know it by heart or not. We're going to recite it. You can at least lip-read. The first word is the word for, and when you say it, mean it. You know, this was my life text for 25 years. When the teenagers up at School Lake used to say, please sign in my Bible. You know what happened at School Lake once? You know what happened once? It didn't happen to me. It happened to another speaker. I was the regular, but the visiting speakers came every week. These teenagers, you never can tell what they're going to do. One of these teenagers went up to one of the speakers and said, 
Dr. So-and-so, I have my Bible here ready for you to sign. Sir, are you famous? <laughs> Dr. So-and-so said very modestly, Why, no. Took his Bible and left. <laughs> I understand that Robbie is coming here to speak before long. These teenagers, you never can tell. They had a contest down at the ranch. Robbie didn't know this. Whoever gets to write in Robbie's Bible gets so many points. Oh, was he ever popular that night? You know, he didn't know. I doubt whether he knows yet. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's recite Romans 1.16. Here we go. Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if you have difficulty reciting that, when you get home, memorize it cold. It's a magnificent text. Two years ago, last month, I buried one of my dearest friends in Arlington Cemetery, Washington. Colonel Paul. Some of you knew Colonel Paul. I had the joy of leading him to the Lord. Before World War II started, he wasn't even a private. Magnificent soldier. I never had a dearer friend than Colonel Paul. Well, when he was saved, he said to me, What's your life text? I told him, Romans 1.16. Then he said, It's going to be mine too. It became his life text. We had a Bible conference I did in Maryland a few years ago. Long distance call from Paul. I got to see you. All right? He drove a hundred miles. He said, I said, Why do you want to see me? Oh, he said, a tremendous thing happened. He said, I'm not an evangelist. I'm a colonel, United States colonel. But I was stationed out there. It was Fort something in the Midwest. And the commandant came up to him and said, Colonel Tom? Yes, sir. I understand you know how to speak in public. Yes, sir. Colonel, we have 200 American GI prisoners here. Will you please talk to them? And the colonel, my friend, said to the commandant, You don't care what I tell them? No, if you can speak in public, go ahead. So he came 100 miles to tell me this. I said, what happened? He said, 200 GI prisoners, and here I am speaking to them as a colonel, and for 45 minutes I spoke on this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation. He said, I put it right on the line. He said, I'm not an evangelist. I then gave an invitation. I said, what happened? Over 50 of these prisoners raised their hands to receive Christ as their Savior. I said, what happened? Oh, he said, I thought I made a mistake. So I said, put your hands down. He was not an evangelist, a colonel. And this time he said, I told them right out that if they rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior, they were on their way to hell. They better be sure that they understood. I gave the invitation again. Same hands went up. I said, what did you do? Well, he said, I let the rest go, and I sat down with those 50, and I opened the word of God to them on the basis of 
Romans 1, 16. Isn't that wonderful? As long as you live, remember that text. Now, we're not going to have a long review tonight for one reason chiefly, and that is we have now reached Romans chapter 8. And I've been waiting for this all week. Did you ever notice this? Did you ever notice this? That Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 come before Romans 8. I figured that out. Did you ever notice that? You want the blessings of Romans chapter 8? Is that what you want? You want it? Then you've got to come by Romans 1, 2, 3. We've been spending a long time on this. We've been heading toward Romans 8 all the time. But you do not put on the roof until first you lay the foundation. I'll never forget this. Just thought of it. Never forget it. Savannah, Georgia. I was speaking somewhere. I forgot. But I had a chauffeur. The chauffeur was stuck with me. He was driving. I was in the back seat. He was stuck with me for 30 minutes. And I said to him, I want to ask you a question. Yes, sir. Driving down the streets of Savannah. I said, are you a Christian boy? A what? Christian boy. Well, I think I is. I said, have you got the faintest idea of what it is to be a Christian? He thought for a moment while he was driving, and he came up with a classic answer. He said this, yes, sir. He said, a Christian, I'm a man who's living up to what he do. I said, say that again. He's living up to what he do. I didn't smile. I turned to him and said, all right, let me ask you a question. Are you living up to what you do? He said, I can't say I is. Then I said to him, which do you do first? Do you put the roof on the house or the foundation? He thought for a minute, foundation. I said, which comes first, the blossom or the roots? He said, the root. I said, all right, you cannot live up to what you do even until first you have a foundation. And I showed him, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I gave him the gospel. He turned around while he was driving. He said to me, hey, mister, ain't you the man that preaches every Sunday night on the radio? Why do you say that? I've been preaching this for 40 years. You cannot put on the roof until you start with a foundation. Romans 8 is the roof. You cannot have it until you traverse Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, when you know that you're justified, when there's no unconfessed sin in your soul, then you're ready to turn to Romans 8, and here we go. Romans chapter 8. Will you please get your pencil ready? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If I were you, I would underline in verse 1 the words in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Verse 1. 
Now will you please turn to the end of the chapter, verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Underline, please, those words in verse 39, in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, in Christ Jesus. Verse 39, in Christ Jesus. And then will you kindly look up from your Bible. Start forth with in Christ Jesus, and it ends with in Christ Jesus. And everything that's sandwiched between, blessing, 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 the windows of heaven are open, and the blessings of God are showered upon those who are in Christ Jesus. They've come by the way of Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. They are justified by faith apart from the law. They are now yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. They are in Christ Jesus. That is their spiritual position. And now I repeat, the windows of heaven are open and they are praising God. Romans chapter 8 is a classic. I have a suggestion to make to the whole congregation. Sooner or later, memorize Romans chapter 8. Say that again. Memorize. What you say would take me two years. Very well. 24 months from now, you'd know it. That's right. One, the blessings that anybody here frustrated, bewildered, confused, you don't know what to do, you're all mixed up, baffled, I give to you Romans chapter 8. If you're standing on that bridge, justification by faith alone, if you know that there's no unconfessed sin in your soul, you're praising the Lord and you take this book, and you read verse after verse and you say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I have only a few moments tonight. This could go on from now until Doreen speaks tomorrow morning because we happen to have Romans 8. All I can do is to suggest that we look at a few of the verses and see what some of these magnificent blessings are did you ever notice this? Did you ever notice this? I have the privilege of teaching every book in the New Testament over and over again. You know what my favorite book in the New Testament is? Romans. This week. When you teach the epistles of Paul over and over and over and over again, you notice certain things about his style. You know, you and I believe in the absolute, verbal, complete, inerrant inspiration of the scriptures. But that does not mean for a moment that these writers could not maintain their own literary style. The Holy Spirit of God permitted Paul, for example, to maintain his style. He has a very interesting style. For example, did you ever notice this? Paul asks, questions. Over and over again, he asks questions. For example, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, Romans 6. 
How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 3. Know ye not? And so forth. Question, question, question. Did you ever wonder about that? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Holy... He asks questions and then answers them. You know why? When Paul was a little boy, unquestionably, he went to the catechetical school of the synagogue. And this was the Hebrew method of instruction, catechetical, question, answer, question, answer. Now the Holy Spirit of God permits him to keep this. This is one of the finest ways to teach, question, answer, question, answer. Well, you notice something else in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is very fond of using the negative in order to underscore the positive. Watch for that. He uses the negative, and thus he underlines the positive. Here are some of the blessings. Look, please, at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Here comes number 1. There is therefore now, here comes the negative now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Please look up from your Bible. Do you know what that word condemnation means? There is therefore, that means by virtue of the fact that you've come through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What does that word condemnation mean? It means judgment unto death. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus? Yes. You've been justified, pronounced righteous, welcomed as righteous, received as righteous, declared forensically to be righteous? Yes. Then you are in Christ Jesus? Yes. All right? Blessing number one, there is no judgment unto death opposite your name. Your sin problem has been forever settled. Praise the Lord. Now, what does Paul mean by that? The Lord Jesus, very God of very God, light of light, took upon himself your sin. He took upon himself your guilt, your judgment, the wrath of the Father, condemnation. He took upon himself your death, so that he cried out, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, lama sabachthani, that's Aramaic, based upon the 22nd Psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in the 22nd Psalm we have the answer, but thou art home. Christ Jesus took upon himself our judgment unto death. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Our sin problem, thank God, has been settled forever. Verily, verily, I say unto thee in Greek that Amen, Amen. Verily in Greek is Amen. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not 
comes into what? Condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 5, 24. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. When you put your head on your pillow tonight, you're a believer in Christ, you know it. Your sin problem has been forever settled. Praise the Lord. That's blessing number one. Will you please turn to verse 15, Romans 8, 15. I'm simply touching some of the highlights. Romans 8, 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Please look up from your Bible. I want to look this congregation over. I dare you, if you're a believer, to say that passage over and over again, and then still look like this. Praise the Lord. Are you in Christ Jesus? Yes. No condemnation. Your sin question settled forever. But how about right now? How about tonight? Here in Long Island. Ye have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, number one, no condemnation, number two, no bondage to fear. Is there anybody here tonight who's scared, scared, in bondage to fear? There's only one group of people around the world concerning whom this may legitimately be predicated, ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Out go our fears. Fears of the past, fears of the present, fears of the future. Why is it that a believer in Christ may be unafraid? Why? Unafraid. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No condemnation, no bondage to fear. Now I want to raise a question. Why does Paul say that concerning us? Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's Aramaic. Abba. That's the small form in Aramaic, the language our Savior spoke, of the word Father. It's a very tender, a very gentle word. You and I do not have bondage to fear. Why? Because God now really is our Father. The spirit of adoption 
whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I want to speak about that word, Abba, for just a minute. I love it. Abba, Father, you are very, very near. I know, Almighty God, that thou art the creator of the ends of the earth. God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. I know that. Thou doest according to thy will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay thy hand or say unto thee, What doest thou but, O God? I have received Jesus as my Savior, and now you are my Father. In a very, very tender way, very close, very near, very dear, Abba. Did you know this? I was born in China. When a Chinese baby starts to talk, do you know how he starts to talk? A little tiny Chinese baby, when he first starts to talk, starts like this. Don't ask me. Ships. Do you know how a German baby starts to talk? You know, you know how a German baby starts to talk? I will now tell you. But he starts. I was a missionary in West Africa. I preached in Bulu. You know how a Bulu baby is, I love this. You know how a Bulu baby starts to talk? Very complicated. French, Russian, same way. Babies universally, when they start to speak, this is it. You have been born again into God's family. Now God is very, very... I must tell you this story. One of my dearest friends, from my point of view, he is the finest Aramaic scholar, from my point of view, in the world. He and I studied at Berlin University in Germany together. Brilliant man! Praise the Lord, he's still living. Well, he married late in life. Brilliant Aramaic scholar. In a Bible conference somewhere, I've forgotten where it is, I met his wife. And she said to me, I want to tell you a little story. Her husband is a brilliant Aramaic scholar. See, I want to tell you a story about a little boy. And my husband was away at a Bible conference in the Midwest. He was to be gone for seven days. So she said, I figured out when our little tiny baby was brand new, just a few weeks old, I was going to teach him how to say, Daddy. Then when the brilliant Aramaic scholar, the husband, the father came back, he would look at the little fellow, and the little fellow would look up and say, Daddy. He'd be surprised. I said, what happened? Well, he was gone for a week, and every day, every day, I coached the babe until finally he could barely say it. Daddy, daddy, he got it. 
I said, what happened? Well, I said, my husband, the great Aramaic came back. He looked over the, looked, <laughs> he looked over the edge of the crib at his little baby, and the little baby was so thrilled to see Daddy that he said, ah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Why shouldn't he? That's Aramaic. Amen. Amen. See? Now, why do I stay on this? Why do I stay on this? Have you ever noticed on a Sunday morning, sometimes the pastor says, Our Father, or we recite the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. Do we stop and think? Do we think that God really is my Father? And like as a father, pity of his children, so the Lord pity them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. Pastor, I'm quite aware that this is bad exegesis, frame. But I sometimes think with some of us it's not such a good picture frame. Let it go. That's not what he meant. That's not what he meant. All I'm saying is now he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Father. I have a son who is studying for the gospel ministry, 15th generation in succession. When he was a little tiny boy, he used to say to me, Daddy, what are you going to do tonight? Are you going to go out and tell people about Jesus, or are you going to stay home and read? And once in a while I would say, I'm going to stay home and read. Big sigh. I will take him upstairs and put him in his bed, tuck him in, fix it. Daddy, you sure you're going to be there, downstairs? You're not going out, you're going to be there? Okay. Go to sleep. Why? Because his father was there. Friends, you cannot enter into the joy of this or even the comprehension of this unless you've come by Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. I've been staying on that, pointing toward chapter 8. We've got to be believers in the Son of God, justified by faith in His blood. No one confessed sin in our souls, and we're rejoicing. No condemnation, no bondage to fear. And there's a great deal more. Will you please turn to verse 22. Romans 8:22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and traveleth in pain together until now. Do you know what that means? Forgive me if I speak simply. When I started out in the gospel ministry, I knew some long words. I've forgotten them. I like to speak so simply that I can understand. Do you know what that means? We know that the whole creation groaneth and traveleth in pain together until now. What does that mean? What is this we know? The whole creation nature groaning groaning there are earthquakes and pestilences and famines have you recently been to Italy 
Did you ever go to the top of Mount Vesuvius? Did you ever go there? Look down into the crater, boom, rumble, bumble, potentially molten lava. Remember the last days of Pompeii? I don't mean you remember them, you weren't there. But have you read the book? Nature is red in tooth and claw. One little beast preys upon a smaller beast, which in turn preys upon a smaller The whole of nature since the fall of man groaning and traveling together in pain until now. And not only they, that's not only nature, verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's believing, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body, in verse 24 in Greek says, and in this hope we are saved. Plant up from your Bible. No condemnation, no bondage to fear. Here comes another one. We who are in Christ Jesus know that this whole universe is under the curse. We know that. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've been born again. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body, and in this hope we are saved. What does that mean? What does that mean? We ourselves, believers, groan within ourselves. Medically, that might be arthritis. Theologically, it's the burden of mortality. Every believer knows what Paul means if he thinks. Oh, there we Yeah. Even a preacher. You preach four times on Sunday, and on Sunday morning you haven't lost your salvation, and you haven't lost your joy, but you pull a blanket over your head. Oh, oh. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grow mm. waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for the adoption, i.e., to wit, the redemption of our body, and in this hope, we are saved. What hope? The redemption of our bodies, the price was paid on Calvary. But these bodies of our humiliation will be transformed and fashioned like unto the body of Christ's glory. Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21. At our Lord's appearing, the dead in Christ shall rise first. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Anybody here groaning? No condemnation, no bondage to fear, and no hopelessness. God's people have a blessed hope. I was teaching along this. I'm not an evangelist, 
I'm a Bible teacher, but it was in a tent in Passaic, New Jersey. Jam. I got off on this subject. The Lord Jesus might return at any moment, then the completed redemption of the body. A thunderstorm, lightning. You know what happened to that tent? Right while I was saying that, I thought that was it. Yeah, I really did. Amen. I didn't even have time for the benediction. <laughs> hey, I, amen. Yeah. You and I have a hope. But you do not have this hope, I insist, unless you've come by Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. There is therefore now no condemnation, no bondage to fear, no hopelessness. I've got time to mention one more. I love this next one. Will you please turn to a verse which most Christians recite incorrectly. Will you please turn to verse 28. Romans 8, 28. How many of you ever knew my beloved friend who went to heaven a good many years ago? I hope that some of you knew him. He was with Thomas Bread, Bob Swanson. Any of you ever know dear Bob Swanson? Amen. Oh, I'll tell you about him. I always think about him when I come to this text. Because he always signed his letters, Love Bob, Romans 8, 28. One of them. Let me read it. But watch every word and see what it is that some of us recited incorrectly. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Please look up from your Bible. I wonder whether every Christian here tonight really believes that. No condemnation, no bondage to fear, no hopelessness, and we know, who knows, those who are in Christ Jesus, all things, all things now, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Paul, are you telling me that now that I'm a believer, everything, this is a totalitarian thing, everything works together for good? Yes, yes. Do you mind if I play with words for just a moment? I love to play with words. All things work together, work together, work together. The Latin word for together is cum. Comes out in English con, abbreviated to co, co. All things work together. Anybody here play the piano? Some of you must be able to play the piano. You sit down before the piano, you're going to play a piece by Chopin. You have the music in front of you, there's the word, the title of the piece. O-P-U-S, remember? Opus number so-and-so, Chopin. Opus, that's Latin. It means the work, W-O-R-K. All things work together. 
Now, if you have a lot of opuses together, then you use the plural. Opera, opera, works, opera. You go into New York to the opera, opera, opera. That means works, because the orchestra leader stands up and gives the orchestra the works. So you go to opera, works. Now let's put it all together, put it all together. All things work together. I'm going to add it up now. All things cooperate for good. That's why we got the word. All things cooperate for good. This next sentence is very bad grammar, but magnificent theology. Watch. All things cooperate for good. Why? Because Almighty God cooperates them. That's bad grammar, because cooperate is intransitive. I'm making it transitive. God cooperates them for good. Thank you, Lord. You mean even every five minutes of my life now that I'm in? Yes. You mean, God, that you have a perfect pattern and purpose and plan for me? It is all working together for good? Yes. I hope that everybody here tonight is wide awake. I hope you're wide awake. When I was a missionary in West Africa, I got a letter from Bob Swanson years ago, back in the early 1930s. And Bob said, I am sending you, I am sending you as a gift of love, an ice box, just what I needed. French Cameroon, a few degrees from the equator, the ice box came. Then he wrote a very nice letter and he signed it, Love Bob, Romans 8:28. Well, in those days there was no airmail. So in the icebox, wonderful icebox, I was enjoying it, I wrote a letter. Dear Bob, paragraph, thank you for the icebox, it's great, amen. Praise the Lord. New paragraph. Bob, do you know why Romans 8:28 is true? I couldn't wait for his answer. There's no airmail. So in the next paragraph, I told him, why is Romans 8, 28 true, Bob? I said, I'm now going to tell you because of what follows in Romans 8, 29 and 30. But when you read these, you've got to sit up straight. Amen. This is terrific. This is dynamite. I will now tell all the congregation what I told Bob, why Romans 8, 28 is true because of what follows. Look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. That's what we've been talking about. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up with it for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? Look up from your Bible, I'm getting carried away. 
You know why Romans 8.28 is true? You know why? Watch. Why is it that I can trust Almighty God for every five minutes of my life now? Why? Listen. Whom he did foreknow them also he did predestinate. Whom he did predestinate them he also called. And whom he called and nobody else them he also justified. And whom he justified and nobody else them he also glorified all the way from eternity to eternity. God foreknew us, predestinated us, called us, justified us. And in other words, from beginning to end, God has a perfect purpose for those who are in Christ Jesus, all the way from his foreknowing us till his glorifying us. If he has a perfect purpose for all eternity, Can we trust him for five minutes? Ooh. I feel like pronouncing the benediction, but not quite. Not quite. Look at the end of the chapter, please. Just the end now. Verse 38. No condemnation, no bondage to fear, no hopelessness, no bewilderment. God's people are not bewildered. No, they're not. Let me just say this in passing. If I were you, I would not take five minutes of my life for granted. Every five minutes is a gift of God's grace. Amen. But having said that, I must quickly add that those five minutes are in the perfect purpose of God. Amen. Fatalism? Just the opposite. Just the opposite. This is our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. Even the hairs of your head are counted even a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God's knowledge. This is wonderful. But the only people who can enter into that are those who are in Christ Jesus, who have come by Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded, 8, 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you ever done this? Have you ever put those two verses under the microscope? Think of it. Time, space, time. Things present, things to come. Space, height, depth. Things visible, invisible, tangible, intangible, corporeal, incorporeal, visible, invisible. The Apostle Paul adds it all up and comes out with this final conclusion, no separation forever and ever 
between the soul of the one who is in Christ Jesus and the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, Doreen and I expect to go in just a few weeks to Australia. We have the slightest idea what's ahead for us any more than you do. We've never been there, never been there. But you and I can believe with all our hearts that these treasures of Romans chapter 8 are ours, not because we are worthy, no, but because as believers we are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Let us all unite in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we worship thee tonight. We thank thee and praise thy name that all our hope, all our confidence, our expectation, all focused in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How we praise thee for him. No God, if there's anyone here tonight who does not yet know Jesus as his dear Savior, May the Holy Spirit of God convict him of his sin. Make him realize that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on Calvary, that his sins might be washed away. May the Spirit of God melt his stubborn heart, melt his pride, woo him, constrain him, and enable him to embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. Lord, may thy blessing be upon the opening and the reception of thy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And we are dismissed.